The second goal of the contest for Alex Tuck. Three to one Golden Knights, 51 seconds to play. Power play goal. Got a good old fashioned ass kicking tonight. Started off with Tyler Bischoff on ESPN Radio. Just crushed my dreams. Boom, sadness, that's the one. Thanks Adam Candy for joining us for the first two hours. It is just Jared and I now. Old school, technically correct. So the Golden Knights won last night 2-0 to um, prevent going down, or prevent going down 2-0, I should say, uh, and basically having their season end because they'd have to win twice in Minnesota, and they don't really win in Literally Minnesota. We're like, this, this, is, this is not a must it's not win. not a must win. It still wasn't a must win. It wasn't. Only the Aces had a must win yesterday. I've been very clear about that. It was a probably should win, but not a must win. I will have for you in a couple minutes the best Marc-Andre Fleury storyline that we're going to be able to follow here. But the Golden Knights finally scored, which is important because you need those to actually advance in the playoffs. They scored three goals in the last two periods last night after not scoring in the game one and not scoring in the first period. Um, what I'm curious, though, is how much of that translates into the next game or is Cam Talbot just simply going to have a 50-save shutout or something like that? Because what I thought was interesting from the first two goals the Golden Knights scored. They both came in a similar fashion in that they were off like semi-transition. They were off wrist shots in semi-transition from somewhat dangerous areas, right? Jonathan Marshall had a great wrist shot uh, into the corner to score. Phenomenal shot. And then the second goal was Alex Petrangelo had a wrist shot from kind of the same spot. The rebound went behind the net. Matias Janmark got to it first and found Tuck in front of the crease. Those aren't the two-on-one transition opportunities or the breakaways that can lead to goals. Those seem to be limited in playoff series, at least in this one specifically. Uh, and those aren't goals that are set up from like established offensive zone time because the Golden Knights as a team tend to establish offensive zone time quite a bit. They did it a lot in the first period of game one. They haven't done as much since, but that's sort of what they're best at is they're going to establish offensive zone time, but they didn't score off of either of those two things, right? Transition is typically the the most likely time to score and then established offensive zone time is when you're sort of the most dominant as a team. That's not when they scored. And it's not that the Marshall goal or the first tuck goal, it's not like you'd really classify them as flute goals by any means. Like it was a great shot by Jonathan Marshall and it was a great rebound for Jan Mark and a great follow by tuck to get to the front of the net. But it doesn't feel like those goals are truly like repeatable. Like you can't say, oh, we're going to jump into a semi transition opportunity, take a wrist shot from outside the circles, and we're going to score off of that. Like you might, you, you probably will a couple more times in the series, 
But it doesn't feel like if you were game planning, how are we going to beat the Minnesota Wild? How are we going to score in the Wild? Those are just sort of shots that exist. They're not really shots that you expect to go in that often. So I'm curious offensively, can they keep scoring like that? I don't expect them to score a ton of goals that way. And if not, how do they create two-on-one transition opportunities? How do they you know, actually score off established offensive zone time when Minnesota seems to be pretty content to just hunker down and block every single shot the Golden Knights take? So it's, yeah, it's not the coming out of the timeout, the coach has drawn it up. It's more like, we got the ball. What do we do? Everybody right. run. Yes, that's kind of what it is. And again, it's not that it's a, not that they're flit. I mean, uh, there's the, way flukier goals in hockey. Like, guys, somebody's going to score with their butt in the uh, series at some point. <laughs> somebody, I mean, it's almost like somebody shot it into the back of the goalie and it right. went in. Right. Like, that might happen in this series. And you'd be like, all right, that's clearly not something you can count <laughs> on doing over and over. But it, uh, these goals don't, it doesn't feel like this is the path to success, even though it was the path to them winning a game. I don't know that you can expect them. Hey, that's how they scored in game two. Yeah, we'll just do that again. We'll fling a wrist shot, you know, when it's a three on three, not even really transition opportunity. And it's going to be such a great shot. The goalie can't stop it. There's a, I mean, it may not even be a set play. It may just be Mark Stone is good at hockey, but well, then he, we're waiting for that. But that's only really happened once, but we're waiting for Oh yeah. Mark Stone. He's the best player in this but, series. Okay. So in the regular season though, there was something that he would do that I saw multiple times, which was he would have the puck go straight down the middle, pass it behind him and just take someone out of the play, yeah, basically plan. leaving the goalie and whoever he passed yeah. it to. Max Pacioretty scores. Uh, yeah, that's it. Was Tomas Nosek doesn't score that goal <laughs> when you put him on the first line. Um, so I'm I'm curious offensively. He goes, I got the puck. Yeah. What do I do? Exactly. Um, now, here's the Mark Andre Fleury storyline. So far in this series, the Minnesota Wild have had 5.3 expected goals. Fleury has only allowed two, so he is 3.3 goals better than average through two games which a is plus phenomenal. Like that number in itself is ridiculous. His save percentage is nine, six, nine. He's been unbelievable. We talked about it at, at seven o'clock about how he's had his best career season at 36 years old, which is absurd to think about. And so far through two playoff games, he's kept it up. But the storyline that I am fascinated in has nothing to do with this series. It has nothing to do with this playoff run. And it has everything to do with the off season, because I'm telling you, it feels like Mark Andre Fleury is driving his trade value up and that we're going to get to the off season. The golden Knights are going to be in the same salary cap problems. They were this year, and they're going to have $12 million wrapped up in goaltending going into next season. And we saw this off season. They didn't want to have $12 million wrapped up in goaltending. They wanted to trade Mark Andre Fleury. They wanted to move on from a $7 million salary cap hit because Having $12 million wrapped up in goaltending, meaning when you're in the playoffs, $5 million or $7 million has to be on the bench. That's kind of a dumb way to build your roster. So next year, you you start projecting out. The regular season is going to be irrelevant again, maybe even more so than this year, because the Pacific Division is not going to be good. The Golden Knights are going to win the Pacific Division by 20 points next year. I bet the Golden Knights could probably win the Pacific Division by 10 points with Jared in net for the entirety of next season. Like, the p- division is going to be to, bad. I, 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 I'd have to put on some weight, right? Yeah, like, you got to lose some weight. You got to be more athletic, like Flurry. No, no, I want to be meatbag. That's true. I just want to sit there and be like, I don't move. If they don't lift the puck, we're all good. So, 
it's not going to make sense next year. The, the regular season, like this year, is going to be mostly irrelevant. The Golden Knights, as soon as the season starts, are basically going to have clinched a playoff spot. Like, as soon as the game one happens, they're basically clinching a playoff spot because of how bad the division will be. So it, all that matters is the playoff. And we've seen it through two games. The Golden Knights have $5 million in Robin Leonard sitting on the bench as the backup goalie, not helping at all. Imagine if they had an extra $5 million to spend on another player. Like, $5 million is what Jonathan Marshall and Riley Smith make. Like, imagine if they had another player like that on the team. So when you're building the roster for next year, it's incredibly dumb to keep Flurry and keep Leonard on the team next year because $12 million in goaltending is not a smart way to use it when half of that's got to be on the bench in the playoffs. So even if Marc-Andre Fleury leads them to a Stanley Cup this year, he's still going to be the better one to trade in the offseason because, A, he makes more money than Robin Leonard, so you save more money, and B, he's got one year left on his deal where Robin Leonard will have four. Like, it's it's a better long-term plan to stick with Robin Leonard over Marc-Andre Fleury, even if Fleury wins them the Cup, even if Fleury stays this good and wins them the Cup. If you're the Golden Knights going into the offseason, you have to try to trade Fleury. Now, the good news... Flurry was coming off one of his worst seasons ever last year. So off-season-wise, nobody wanted Marc-Andre Flurry. It was, you got to give us a second-round pick and the Golden Knights have to eat half of his contract or whatever it was. There's a chance if Flurry keeps playing this well, and hell, even if they lose in this series, like Flurry was good enough in the regular season, he might have actual trade value. Like the Golden Knights might be able to get something back for him, which of course you're trading him if you can get something back for him because your team can be better if you move him. That's the storyline I'm fascinated to see because he has been so good this season and so good through two playoff games that it's unimaginable you would trade who's been you know one of the two best goalies in hockey, but it's probably in the team's best interest to do so because it's about the Stanley Cup playoffs and it makes more sense to keep Leonard long-term than it does for Flurry. I know I bring this up, bring him up way too often. It's Alex Smith. Like, that's what it is. It's Alex Smith in Kansas City. Like, you literally are like, all right, man, this is this. We made it back to the playoffs. Thank you for your service. Someone give us a second round pick. (laughs) Well, I don't think Alex Smith was this good, though. He was an MVP candidate that year. Yeah, but I don't think he was this good. Okay, fine. It's levels. Yeah. And so, but it's it's just going to be an interesting offseason because, again, they're going to need to trade a goalie. Like, that's going to be the conversation. And for the sake of the Golden Knights, I hope they haven't convinced themselves that the goalie rotation is the reason they were good in the regular season. Because the goalie rotation is not the reason they were good in the regular season. The West Division being terrible well, is the reason yeah. they were good in the regular season. And they're a good team. But they didn't They didn't come in second in this division. They didn't have 40 wins because they rotated goalies. They barely came in second in this right. division. I will say, though, based on uh, empirical evidence, uh, expansion teams make the playoffs 100% of the time. Since 2010. Yes, in the modern era. <laughs> yes, okay. Modern, modern era. Yeah, so it's not a guarantee that they're making the playoffs. What, Seattle? No, the Golden Knights. Oh. Because Seattle definitely is that's because a good based point. on yeah, evidence. They're, that's, they're stealing a, a, a playoff spot. That is a good point. Seattle will steal one, so there's one less for the Golden Knights to contend for. So I just, it's how good Flurry's playing right now. It's unbelievable, and if he keeps it up, they can they'll, they'll win the Stanley Cup. I mean, if well, he's this good, they're going to win the Stanley Cup. They're going to score some eventually. If he keeps this up, they're going to win the Stanley Cup. And 
I'm going to be sitting here telling you when that ends in July. Yeah, they should trade him. He's also a hockey goalie, so he could go to another team. And then once he's like 42, 43, they can sign him again. (laughs) They could bring him back. I don't know if he'd want to come back. He'd probably do that in Pittsburgh before he'd do that in Vegas. Really? They benched him in the the Stanley Cup finals. But I will say, six years from now, Pete DeBoer probably won't be here, so... They'll probably you think come we'll back get then. we'll get Gallant back by then no. too. Good God! <laughs> what I gotta find it. I think in hockey it's the shortest average oh, time. It, yeah, you've that told coaches, me. It's I like think two it's, and a half. I think years. I think they're less than two and a half. I think NBA coaches were two and a half, and I think hockey coaches were like two point two years, which is. Ed, but it's it's the, like the same forty yes, guys. But there, there's thirty. There's about to be thirty two jobs. There's thirty six head coaches in hockey. There's just you know. Four to five that are always like waiting for somebody to get they're fired. On, they're on TSA. Yeah, they're on a retainer somewhere doing TV. And oh, there's a job open. All right, I'm in. Yeah, it's the same guys over and over. All right, coming up next, Sam and Ash join the show. You're sitting in the press box with Grainy and Bischoff. Call the judge and call, get some fudge. Call the judge and get some fudge. On ESPN Las Vegas. It's Sam and Ash, SamandAshLaw.com, 702-820-1234. How much are you guys missing Ed today? I miss Ed today quite a bit, but we can't make fun of him. Sadly. Rocky doesn't miss Ed, though. Rocky's (laughs) sleeping comfortably. He knows there's no risk of Ed. Helmet off. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Semi-serious question. Can you take a restraining out order for a dog on someone? Oh. Yes, like he, probably could, um, but it would have to be in your name, basically. Okay. Um, so, so if somebody's going after your dog for, <laughs> for whatever reason, um, <laughs> yeah, you probably, but you'd have to get it basically in in yourself, um, I guess, on behalf of. Okay, I like or that. Or if someone else's dog. dog is harassing you, you take out the restraining order against the owner or whoever's keeping the dog. I, so, yeah. I think Ed's probably going to file one against Rocky here pretty soon. <laughs> he's going to try to clear his name and turn the he's tables gonna have on to, you. He's going to have to serve Rocky. I yeah. don't know if that's <laughs> <laughs> He's evasive. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple of stories I want to get into. Uh, the first one here is with the Tennessee Titans, and there's a former employee of the Tennessee Titans who is now suing the Titans, claiming that he was fired because he tested positive for COVID and basically his timeline of events. He's saying like he tested positive for COVID was told to go home and quarantine. And the next day the Titans fired him. Now we don't know, or at least, or maybe the employee wasn't given, or maybe just hasn't said publicly. Like there hasn't been like a reason given for why the Titans did fire this person. But I guess like what's the recourse here. If you actually did get fired because you tested positive for COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the interesting thing is assuming all facts are correct, you know, he tested positive under local rules and the NFL rules, he had to self-quarantine. Um, the, the, the way the statutes were written and there was emergency statutes that the, the employer is supposed to give you a certain amount of time, depending on if you're full-time or part-time, um, of paid sick leave to recover. And we don't know exactly what the nuances are or what the reasons for the termination are or if he was a full-time employee. But yeah, if, if he was and he was properly on this paid sick leave and the Titans fired him, they, that's a problem. And he's going to have damages, you know, it's for the back pay that he's missed out on since the termination. 
um, any pain and suffering that he has related to it. Uh, his attorney's fees, of course, you know, the attorneys have to get paid. Um, and then one of the other things is he'll try and be reinstated into his role. Now, would I really want to be reinstated to the Tennessee <laughs> Titans? I don't know, probably not. But it's a bargaining chip in all of this because the Titans probably don't want him back either. And that'll be part of a settlement agreement. Well, and I just point out sometimes we don't have all the facts. So here, it, it, it you know that we we only have the lawsuit by the employee alleging that he was fired because of COVID. But you know it, there could also be a lot more to it. And he in this. This is what he's, you know, saying the reason is. And so that's where, you know, lawyers come in and sort it out. Who is the burden of proof on? Like, does he have to prove he was fired because he tested positive? Or does the organization have to prove they didn't fire him because he tested Dang, positive? Dang, that's, that's a really good question. And, and what it is, well, Ashley's j- jumping at the bit. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's always, you know, it's on the plaintiff to prove their case. We have jury instructions to prove what we're claiming. And you've got to be able to put evidence in front of the jury that that establishes your your rights to recovery in some discrimination cases however in employment law if there's pretext for firing somebody it's actually the burden of proof of the employer of the defendant uh, to prove that it wasn't pretextual so there's certain contexts in employment law and i don't think this is one of them it also depends on the state uh, the jurisdiction but i don't think this is one of them so, so there is there the burden can shift uh, to the defendant uh, the defendant employer in certain cases, um, uh, you know, to, to, to prove that, that there were other reasons. Without some kind of like, uh, if there's like an email or a text message that says, fire everybody that tested positive, like obviously that's a pretty good proof. But like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm having a hard Don't time. Don't do that if you have a business. <laughs> Don't like, put it in writing. Like, I'm gonna, but It's I, sad how many times on this show I have to like say the message, don't self-incriminate, please. <laughs> but like, I feel like this is going to be really hard to prove that he got fired because he tested positive. Even if he did, like even if that's what the Titans decided, I feel like it's going to be hard to prove. That's actually a great point. That's the difference between direct evidence and circumstantial evidence. And the example that every lawyer gives to a juror is rain outside. You know, if you don't look out the window and you don't see the rain, but you walk outside and everything around you is wet, you're able to make the inference that, hey, it rained while I was in that building. I didn't need to see it to know what happened. Um, And that's usually what happens here. You have a bunch of evidence that lines up, you know, a positive COVID test, um, no communication saying it was intentional, but he he was terminated within his paid sick leave time. And so there it's discrimination for the disability or retaliatory for using his his sick leave. And and that's the problem. You touched on it a little bit, but the part that's curious to me is wanting his job back with the same level of seniority how, how, how do you like as a like how do you negotiate that like oh and he also wants a pay raise like well no the, he's i think he's just asking that is uh he gets exactly the same title and position back he wants all of his missed wages lost wages and then he wants to be reinstated to the same pl- title and position that he was previously. Um, that's really standard but in employment cases, um, but realistically that you don't, as an employee, don't want to go back to that um, organization. <laughs> like, could you imagine the just the underlying hostility? Like, I, you, you have don't another want to. Also, it's the Titans. It's the Titans. Go somewhere else. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and it's always a negotiation piece, too, because that's something that they trade for money at the end. So, the, the, trust me, his... 
desire ashley's right his desire is not to go back to the same office doing the same thing with oh, the same thought, people that canned him it's the one, yeah one fun <laughs> yeah. fact is in a lot of these settlement agreements it's in there that they won't apply for another job with the organization ever again it's like don't come back ever so, you're banned for life <laughs> Uh, another story was Northwestern. They hired a new athletic director, and 10 days after they hired him, he resigned. And it stems from a lawsuit back in January where he was one of multiple people named for, uh, quote, using cheerleaders to be presented as sex objects to titillate the men that funded the majority of Northwestern's athletic programs. And, well, this isn't even a law question. This is more of a, if you're Northwestern, why did you hire the guy that was a part of that lawsuit? Yeah, that was a poor decision on their part. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, they, I don't know why they allowed this. Um, I think he was, I forget what position he was in before. Um, and I think it was like deputy. He was an assistant. Director. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I don't know why they did it. Um, I think they thought maybe the lawsuit would go away, but this was just a bad PR move on their part. Is there, obviously the, the suit with the cheerleaders is still ongoing with Northwestern, but like if if he's ultimately guilty or whatever, like do they have any recourse of going after Northwestern and be like, why'd you, guys, why'd you guys give this guy a raise and a promotion to athletic director in the middle of this lawsuit when he did something like this? No, but I think it's going to be a question that the board of directors and the trustees of the school are going to ask uh, as, to, as to why this was done because it's just a bad business decision. Um, and, and the lawsuit, look, the lawsuit may or may not have merit at the end. It may, we'll see what happens of it, but it's just not a good idea. You, you let these kind of things and investigations run their course and, and come to a conclusion before you go and promote somebody. And, and, and the fact that he's gone 10 days in, uh, I think, is just is, is everything you need to know about how <laughs> dumb this decision was. Uh, what would be the difference if this happened to like a pro sports team that hired like a general manager or something versus <laughs> the Washington football team versus it? Well, that's the owner. That's not the actual. <laughs> oh yeah, fair enough. That's you can't fire that guy. Right, that he owns the team. But like, if this was like the general manager of a you know professional team versus the athletic director of a university, uh, well, um, it's they're both. You know, Northwestern is a private school. Um, that's a private team. Um, I, I think the difference, I mean, I guess the, the only thing is that schools get public funding, and so there's some some additional uh, strings attached on a federal level, federal law issues like that. But but essentially it comes down to the same bad business decision that Ashley mentioned, and I think, you know, it, it, it's not a good, this is not a good thing, period. Yeah, and, and if we look back, remember Penn State and the Sandusky thing, and they had they got all these different punishments come down from the NCAA for their poor handling of the entire, all the allegations that were raised and, and the, whole, the whole scenario. Um, so in the NFL, in a pro team, the NFL would go and look in into the investigation and see what happened. And if, if the lawsuit had merit, then I'm sure they would hand down punishments to the organization as well. So I could actually see some comparable handling of it it altogether even though he resigned if he's not found culpable in this lawsuit does he have any like recourse of like hey i basically got dragged through the mud even though i i was not actually guilty of what i was accused of 
I would say no. I think the resignation was probably a discussion that they had. You know, he's got a contract for employment and what what that entailed and and his salary and et cetera. And they said, look, if you resign now, you'll get X, Y, and Z. Um, but if this investigation and lawsuit goes forward and, you know, then we have a four cause termination, which there's a surely a clause in his contract that gives them the right to give him the boot without any type of recourse or, or damages or payout. Um, so I don't think that's one of the tactical reasons for having him step down and resign. You mentioned Penn State, and now we have Northwestern hiring this guy in the middle of a lawsuit. How often are you surprised at how sports teams or businesses just handle like lawsuits and pretty major allegations like this and just the way they handle them? A lot of times they seem to screw things up that it seemed pretty obvious not to do. Well, oh, I mean, the, yeah. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, sorry, I'm going to say I'm not surprised, but Sam, you might have a different opinion. Well, no, I'm not surprised at all because they're all humans and they're people. And if you look at it, you know, we, we have something in our, in, our, in our systems called truth default, right? Where we, and we all have this for the most part, unless we're sick, and that is that we tend to trust people and believe them, especially if we know them and have a relationship with them. And that creates a presumption, which is a correct presumption of, of, of innocence and, or of truth-telling. And, um, and so, you, you know, you get, you get people that are bad actors. Um, certainly, it, you know, some cases are proven, some are not yet, but, you know, they're bad actors, and, and they go through and they, they are able to get by because they convince good people, not bad people, they convince good people that they're being truthful and that there's nothing to whatever's being alleged. And I, I, I think that's, you know, that's pretty normal to be expected. Oh, we're all just humans. Look at you. Sam's here to make sure we all feel better about ourselves just being humans and making <laughs> For <mistakes>. once. That's <laughs> why I keep them around. <laughs> well, they are Sam and Ash again. It's samandashlaw.com. Call them at 702-820-1234. 702-820-1234. We appreciate it, guys. Oh, thank you, thank Tyler. You. Oh, so there is Sam and Ash again, salmonashlaw.com. Uh, Jared, would you like to make your bad joke to make fun of Ed? Oh, th- they said bad actor. Ed. Yeah, you was... pointed at the empty chair where Ed would normally be sitting, which, you know, Ed didn't get the job, didn't get the part. Yeah, no, he's, he's a bad actor. Oh, poor Ed Grady. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs, where we're going to talk about NBA expansion. Call Sam at Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Bischoff's Briefs. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Bischoff's Briefs. Get mad! I don't want your damn lemons. What am I supposed to do with these? Bischoff's Briefs. Demand to see life's manager. Bischoff's Briefs. Do you know who I am? I'm the man who's going to burn your house down with the lemons. NBA expansion. Coming, isn't it? Are we getting a team? We're getting all the teams here at some point. I read a really good uh, article on this on... uh, the offensive dot Vegas. Oh, what a great website. So Michael Grange of Sportsnet, uh, he wrote a story about Masai Ujiri, who is with the Raptors, basically speculating on what is going to be next for Masai Ujiri. And one of the potential next options was taking over as like the GM of one of the expansion teams. 
if the NBA does, in fact, expand. And what Michael Grange wrote was, it's widely believed the NBA will expand for the first time since rounding out to 30 teams in 2004, partly to recoup losses from the pandemic. Returning to Seattle as part of the process is almost a given with Las Vegas as the other likely city. So there's a couple things to take away from this. I find it interesting how casually Michael Grange threw out expansion, right? Widely believed. He didn't, he doesn't have a source, right? This isn't a, a source told him that he expects the league to expand or anything like that. That's just him writing that most people assume the NBA will expand, which might actually be better than having a source saying the NBA will expand because if everybody in the NBA is operating on the mindset of, hey, we're going to expand to two new markets, then it probably means they're going to expand to two new markets. And we have a lot of info to suggest the NBA will expand. Adam Silver mentioned expansion back in December. Granted, he didn't say it was on the front burner. He said it was on the back burner, but it was on a burner, and it hadn't been on a burner before then. But more importantly, Adam Silver... He's in the kitchen. That's all we know. But more importantly, Adam Silver specifically mentioned that the $2.5 billion that Brian Windhorst reported was the potential expansion fee for a new team, Adam Silver specifically said that that was too low. So that implies that Adam Silver and the NBA have talked about expansion and talked about the details of expansion, like what would the expansion fee be? Um, Now, the other detail from Michael Grange's story that's interesting and not the first time we've heard it is that the NBA, the reason they would expand is because of the pandemic, because the NBA has missed out on revenue that they would normally get from uh, ticket sales or concession sales or whatever happens when you actually have fans in the arena. They've missed out on that, and they want to make that money up. The Athletic did an estimate for the NHL uh, that the NHL lost $3 billion. Missed out. Missed out on $3 billion. Thank you. Important correction. Missed out on $3 billion in ticket revenue and game day sales revenue. The NBA presumably is in that same ballpark, probably more, but in that same ballpark of ticket sale revenue that they would have missed out on. So if they missed out on $3 billion and two expansion teams would bring them at least $2.5 billion each, that's plenty of revenue to make up for what you lost during the pandemic. Now, there is one slight hiccup with that, and it's the timeline here, because expansion fees aren't paid immediately. So even if the NBA this summer, like in August, they're like, we're expanding, Seattle and Vegas are in, these are the ownership groups, these are where they're playing, everything's good to go. The expansion fees still don't get paid 100% upfront. They normally get paid in like three or four installments over the course of a couple of years. So if you're trying to recoup, you know, a $3 billion that you missed out on, you're not going to get $3 billion this summer from the new expansion teams. You're going to get it in installment payments. You'll get some of it, right? You might get a billion dollars this summer, which would be nice to have for anybody in the NBA, but you won't get it all right away. So it's not like they can just expand and all of a sudden, boom, they have the money. It's still going to take some time. Another detail that was interesting from what Grange wrote was the timeline. He said there'd be a minimum of two years. I think there's a chance Vegas could get awarded a team and have them playing quicker than two years. Because if you take the Golden Knights as an example, the NHL officially awarded the Golden Knights a franchise in June of 2016. 
And then in the fall of 2017 is when the Golden Knights started playing hockey games. Like that's when they became an organization. That was a little bit more than a year that the Golden Knights were officially awarded the team and then started playing games. And the key is having an arena ready to go. If you have to build a new arena, a new stadium, it's going to take a long time for that expansion team to actually begin playing. But if you have an arena ready to go for an NBA team, you can get started pretty quickly. And Vegas has T-Mobile Arena. Now, the ownership situation is going is, might be what determines where they end up playing. Because like, if MGM or Bill Foley owns the NBA team, they own stakes in T-Mobile Arena, that's no problem. But if some third party that we don't know of right now is the majority owner of the NBA team, most owners want to own the arena they play at so they can control the revenue streams. They want to own it, but they don't want to pay any money to that's, build That's it. important. I want to own things and not pay for it too. But they want to own it so they control the revenue streams. So there is, chance, there is a chance that there's some, some owner we don't know about that becomes the owner of an NBA expansion team in Vegas and says, I don't want T-Mobile because he wouldn't control all the revenue streams that outside parties would control the revenue streams because they own T-Mobile. So the ownership group and where they play would be a question, but there is a chance that the NBA expansion team plays at T-Mobile arena. And that would essentially get them off the ground faster. They could play much quicker, join the NBA much quicker. So like best case scenario is that the NBA decides, Hey, the NBA playoffs, the NBA finals in this summer, we're opening up expansion. We're adding two new teams. We need to make up some of this money we didn't get because of the pandemic. And they start fielding offers or bids, whatever the hell they would be from potential ownership groups. It'd be across multiple different cities. And the NBA decides, all right, Seattle's in. They've got an ownership group. They've got an arena. That's the city that the NBA wants to be in. Seattle's in and Vegas is in. Because Vegas is exploding right now, and there's an ownership group, there's an arena, Vegas is good to go as well. And they do all that this summer before next season starts, and then Vegas is playing in the NBA in, what, 2022-2023 season at that point? I mean, whenever all net opens. (laughs) That might take a little while. But that's that's sort of the best-case scenario. Maybe it's the 23-24 season, but that's sort of your best case scenario. Obviously, you still need an owner to come up with the expansion fee that you'd have to pay. Obviously, you've got to figure out the arena. If it's all net arena, it might not be till 2025, six or ever, if that ever gets built. But there's obviously a lot of things that happen. But that is best case scenario, is that you could have it announced this summer if the NBA does, in fact, move it to the front burner uh, of the offseason and say, we're expanding, we're adding two teams, Seattle and Vegas are in. You know, other teams, my other cities might have offers to get a team, but I don't know that they would be able to beat out Vegas and Seattle. And again, it all comes down to ownerships and who's willing to pay. So who besides, I mean, I guess Kevin Garnett wouldn't be horrible, but who, who all, who who all missed out on the most recent, what? On the Timberwolves? Yeah. That's nobody wanted him, right? That was the whole problem is he couldn't sell them for 1.5 billion. Oh, I thought I thought Alex Rodriguez finally closed that deal. No, no, they sold it to Alex Rodriguez, but you're saying who missed out? Yeah, like I think I the thought, problem uh, is it was only Kevin Garnett. Yeah, nobody else like I I'd have to go look. I don't think there was any other reported like serious and hell, even Kevin Garnett, the owner of the Timberwolves said I never talked to him in person about it because he was like it never got to the level that it was actually serious. So kept going he kept texting one point four. Yeah. So I yeah, who missed out? I don't know. I'm sure there were other people that were interested, but who missed out? I we don't we don't know, or at least I don't know. Maybe other people know, but I don't know. And Kevin Garnett, 
I mean, Kevin Garnett doesn't have $2.5 billion. Yeah. So no, it's not I mean, Kevin the, Garnett. It's Kevin yeah, Garnett. Kevin Garnett apparently doesn't have $1.5 right. It's Alex Rodriguez having to team up with a billionaire to buy the Timberwolves. That Kevin Garnett's got to team up with a billionaire to has buy the team. Has he met Seth Klarman? God, has anybody? Is Seth Klarman real? I actually am starting to think maybe it's one of those things wherever it's like, there is no Seth Klarman. Right. He's Kaiser Sose. <laughs> he's just a he's an amalgamation of all of the characters I play in yeah. different boardrooms. I think he exists. Seth Klarman supposedly was going to bring an MLS team to Vegas, but that's not real. I don't believe he's real. So there's your NBA expansion summary as of now. I don't think we'll hear anything significant until the NBA finals are over. Maybe the NBA kicks off expansion then for this summer. And it's probably a process that would ultimately take longer than just this summer. But maybe that's when it actually kicks off. Is the whole reason Seattle is number one, besides the obvious supersonics, is just because they now have a hockey (laughs) arena? Uh, Well, it's the same arena. They just upgraded it. Like the arena the Sonics moved out of has been renovated. And that's... Oh, okay. Right. That's the big key there is that the arena has been renovated. Now... I can't remember his name, but there is a guy who had been trying to get a team in Seattle. He tried to buy the Kings at one point, and he has come out and said that whoever owns the NBA team is going to need to build their own arena in Seattle. And it's because of the whole owners wanting to own the revenues of the arena itself. So that arena makes Seattle a quick possibility, but there's a chance just like here, whoever, whoever owns the team, whoever pays the expansion fee, whoever the NBA decides on, could decide, I need to build my own arena so I can get the revenues from it. That could happen in Seattle, too. Could happen here. Could happen anywhere, even though there's places that have arenas that are ready to go. So, yeah, we'll see. It's fun. Just wait till they ask for public money after we gave the A's $900 million on top of the Raiders, $750 million. We'll be like, yeah, of course. What's another billion dollars? We won't even notice. All right, coming up next, we got a great voicemail to play. I love our listeners. Great hot takes this morning, guys, but one thing was... Scarcely mentioned, if at all, I didn't hear it at all, actually, and that is their opinion on what happens if Max Pacioretty cannot play the rest of the series. We heard every angle imaginable except that, and I'd like to know their opinion on how can the Knights possibly win without their top goal scorer. Just speculation, of course. But I'd love to hear their opinion on it. Thanks. That is our favorite listener, at least in the 7 o'clock hour. And that's our voicemail line, which, by the way, you can leave a voicemail, 702-720-4678. You can call that automated. It's going to go straight to a voicemail for you. Leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the show. He still hasn't given us our name. Whoever this man is has left us like five voicemails in the last two weeks. And has still not given us his name. I think the problem we're running into, Jared, is we always play these voicemails at like 9.45. And he's listening at 7 a.m. He's probably not still listening at 9.45. We might need to play one of these voicemails he leaves us like at 7.15 so that he hears it. And he can hear me say, give us your name. Yeah, that, that would probably be for the best. But the problem is that our rundown is kind of meticulous. Yeah, I know. Thanks. You're welcome for that. Um, but there's genuinely, I, I find it hilarious that there's, there's, what was it? The 
there was something on the front page for I want to say like three and a half months or something that just kept getting moved down. Listen, if it's evergreen and it's in the front page, it's never leaving the front page until we talk about it. I don't think we ever talked about. It. Oh yeah, sometimes it'll get deleted. It's just like yeah, whatever. It gets dragged along. Um, yeah, our rundown's good. Now to answer his question, Max Pacioretty not playing for the entire series. In the sport of hockey, one individual player typically doesn't make a massive difference. Like, even if Mark Stone went down. Like, we talked to Dom Lushinson, who said Max Pacioretty decreased their win probability for each game by about 3%, right? Which, at the end of the day, isn't really that much, right? You go from a 57% chance to a 54% chance. We don't really think that as much difference. So, they can absolutely win the series without Max Pacioretty, but it is the problem the Golden Knights are having is specifically what Max Pacioretty is here to do. Like, he's on this team to score. He, he, he elevates the puck. Right. He's on this team because Mark Stone creates a lot of opportunities, and he shoots it good. Like, so they want the guy that shoots it good to score the to goals. Pair it with the guy who passes it yes. well. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very genius plan. Um, so not having him exacerbates what's been their biggest problem. I think they can still win the series. It just, it certainly decreases their margin for error. And the other way to look at it is from the salary cap, which granted doesn't matter once you're in the playoffs, but from the salary cap standpoint, we've talked about the goaltending and how with the way Flurry's playing, Leonard's probably not playing until they lose two in a row or Flurry's bad for once, but the Golden Knights are going to have $5 million sitting on the bench in their goaltender that could have been used on a forward like a Jonathan Marshall or Riley Smith. It'd be really nice to have one of those. With Max Pacioretty out, again, it's not roster construction. It's an injury. You can't control that. But that's $7 million that's just not in your lineup. So the backup goalie and Max Pacioretty, we're talking about $12 million in offensive production they could have that they don't have. Like you're t- Max Pacioretty and another Riley Smith, another Jonathan Marshall. So like the team is much better if they have those two players. So I don't think Pacioretty... I, I don't think it's ultimately what matters if they win or lose is not having Pacioretty if he's out for the entire series, but it ju- it decreases their margin for error. You need an Alex Tuck to score two goals in a game. You need Marc-Andre Fleury to be as good as he has to win some of these games and get out of this series, or you need Minnesota to actually like poop their pants for once. Like The good thing about hockey is teams often just poop their pants because they're on skates, and it's hard not to poop your pants. Minnesota doesn't do it. Like, Minnesota hasn't done it the entire time they played the Golden Knights. So, you need Minnesota to finally make some mistakes. All right. How many minutes do we have left in the show? Uh, about 90 seconds. Perfect. Actually less. I wanted to yell about Dusty Baker. I am so mad at Dusty Baker. Good God. Dusty Baker, and it's... It, oh, he is obsessed... Tony LaRusso's friend? ...with saves and having, like, a true closer. Because right now... The Astros have one good reliever in their bullpen. His name is Ryan Presley. The rest of their bullpen is either underperformed or has been erratically inconsistent or hurt. They do have a couple guys that are hurt. Last night, the Astros went into the bottom of the seventh with a 5-3 lead. They brought in a guy who's just returned from the IL, making a second appearance since coming back. He managed to walk two, give up a single, and get one out. So bases loaded, one out. Dusty Baker made a pitching change, brought in a different reliever who gave up a sack fly, but ultimately got out of the inning, giving up one run. So it went from 5-3, now it's 5-4 going into the eighth inning. Top of the order is up for the A's. Dusty Breaker brings in a different reliever to face the top of the order. He does not get out of the inning. He's got to make a pitching change. 
Astros give up the lead. It's five to five going into the bottom of the ninth. Dusty Baker still did not bring in his best reliever, and the Astros gave up a sack fly to lose the game. So 5-3 in the seventh, 5-4 in the eighth, and 5-5 in the ninth. Dusty Baker did not use his best reliever one time in that game. Not a single time because he's only allowed to use him if it's a save situation, which never happened. There was no save situation because the other guys blew the game. 